following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. All right, we are continuing our study through the book of Numbers, but we're uh, shifting the focus a little bit. We've been talking about the first ten chapters, the, the theme, kind of the series theme of God with us. Um, we switch, switch now to a next major section of the book. And um, what I really wanted to call this was like like rebellion and death. Uh, it kind of has a good ring to it, right? Um, uh, this next section is full of a lot of trouble with the Israelites. And uh, when I was thinking about what to really title this... Um, uh, it, it is a lot. There's a lot of rebellion. There's a lot of rejecting God. There's a lot of not following Him. Uh, but in the midst of all this, what we see is not only the the sinfulness of, of the Israelites, but we see God's mercies day day after day after day. Um, his, his mercies are, are, are new every morning, right? And and the Israelites needed that because their sin was new every every night, right? And so they regularly needed God's mercy. So we're going to see that over the next few weeks as we look at this next section. And we start off with a wonderful passage all about grumbling and complaining, right? So uh, let me, again, I'm not going to read all of both chapters all at once, but let's start by looking at uh, verses, uh, chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. Uh, one through, actually, we'll do 1 through 8. Uh, And the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some outlying parts of the camp. Then the people cried out to Moses, and Moses prayed to the Lord, and the fire died down. So the name of that place was called Tibera, because the fire of the Lord burned among them. Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving. And the people of Israel also wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic. But now our strength is all dried up. And there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. All right. We'll read more kind of later, but uh, that's good for now. Uh, complaining. How many of you like to complain? Okay, so the rest of you who didn't raise your hand, if you don't like it, why do you do it all the time? Right? Uh, just kidding. Uh, actually, uh, uh, it doesn't, you don't have to look very far on the Internet to find that complaining is a major part of people's lives. Right, both we see it like in social media where people are like actively complaining in public, uh, bearing witness to their grumbling. Uh, but, but beyond that, uh, psychologists, uh, employers, uh, all kinds of people are talking about why we really shouldn't be complaining and, and how it's not good for us. Uh, one uh, website uh, claimed, I don't know how their research is based, but they claim that pretty much everybody complains at least 15 to 30 times per day. 30 times, 15 to 30 times per day. We're complaining about something, right? Um, now, it's funny, it, when you look at the, the Internet and the, the, a lot of the blogs and research, um, there's, a, there's some division about if this is really a bad thing or not. Uh, everybody agrees that we complain all the time, and some would say that certainly, in fact, most would say that complaining all the time is bad for you. <coughs> Uh, it's not healthy. In fact, there's some amazing research on what it does to your brain. And um, scientifically, they would say that, yeah, a lot of complaining is not healthy. Uh, but some would suggest that, uh, that complaining sometimes is necessary or even healthy. And that, that there might be even actually some benefits to, to complaining. Because we're not really interested in what the Internet says. We want to know what the Bible says. Uh, what is the Bible's take on complaining? Uh, certainly, Scripture would would verify, and this is, not, this is not the only account in all of Scripture of complaining. It, it happens often through Scripture. And so the Bible would verify that complaining is very much a core part of our human nature. That we are creatures who, by nature, love to complain. 
or if we don't like it, we, we at least do it often. Right? It's part of who we are, and there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, but what's important is we see what the Bible has to say about it. Um, and, and we want to think through, is it, is it, is it always bad? Uh, are there times when complaining might be uh, appropriate or, uh, or good? Um, and, and how do we know the difference? When is it okay to complain? Uh, and, and when is it perhaps permissible? <coughs> um, and, 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 and ultimately, we want to know what God's perspective is on, on our complaining and what he thinks about it. Uh, so we're going to do this. We're going to break this up in two parts. We're going to look, first of all, at kind of what complaining is and what, uh, what's bad complaining and good complaining. And then the second part, we're going to look at how we can uh, change our our hearts and our attitudes so that we um, so that we are not like the Israelites just complaining all the time. So let's talk about this idea of good complaining and bad complaining. And what I mean by that is actually not that there is some complaining that's good. I think scripture would be pretty clear that complaining is always a problem. Uh, it is always a lack or a deficiency in our own life of uh, of, of faith and of appreciating uh, God's goodness. Uh, but what I mean by it is this, that there, there's, there's bad complaining, which uh, in this passage falls often under God's wrath and judgment. Okay, so it's sin, it's serious. Um, but, but there is uh, in Scripture, uh, maybe not good complaining, but a good way to complain, an appropriate way to, um, to deal with our inner grumblings and dissatisfaction. So what, what do we mean, we mean when we're talking about complaining? Uh, in this passage and in other places, we, we would see that it's, it's basically a sense of discontent. Right? We're not happy with the way things are. It's a grumbling and negative attitude toward my circumstances or sometimes toward another person. Uh, the dictionary defines it as expressing dissatisfaction, pain, uneasiness, censure, resentment, or grief. Or to find fault with others. Uh, or to tell of one's pains, ailments, and problems. Okay, there's a lot of fun in that. Why don't you just turn to your neighbor and tell them what your, you know, pain, what pains you right now? Don't do that. Uh, there's something kind of joyful about that, right? It makes us feel, I don't know, good that we're suffering, and we could share that suffering with somebody. Well, that's all complaining. Um, uh, and what we see in this passage is there's four, four accounts, four stories uh, in, this, in, in chapters 11 and 12, and all of them involve grumbling, every single one of them. There's grumbling and complaining. Uh, three times it results in God's wrath being kindled. God's anger gets stirred up, and he sends some kind of judgment. Uh, sometimes, uh, like in the, the fire, it's probably just destruction of property. It doesn't say somebody dies. But in some cases, people actually die. Right? The judgment is severe and swift and serious. In the last case, Miriam ends up with uh, a kind of leprosy as a result. Right? So, so there's a sense of which uh, complaining uh, can kill you. Right? It's, it's a sin. It can be a very serious sin that brings God's judgment. But there is one account in this story where um, it's handled differently and it does not result in judgment. Uh, and in this case, it probably is not sin, right? Uh, but it is still a struggle. So let's look at this, the first three that deal with rebellion, uh, what I would call rebellion. Uh, the, the, the complaining is sinful because it is ultimately rebellion against God. <clears throat> Now, you, you may be thinking, well, I'm pretty sure when I complain, it's not rebellion against God. Right? You may think, my, my complaining is not that. I just complain about things like the weather or the traffic. But here's the thing. Their rebellion against God was just about watermelons. Right? So it's not what you complain about that makes it rebellious or not rebellious. Right? It's the heart attitude that underlies it. So let's, uh, let's look at these real, real quickly. Uh, we're just going to summarize these stories a bit. Uh, the first account, <coughs> which I read, uh, uh, the, there's a group of people uh, who are uh, complaining in the hearing of the Lord. And it says the people complained, so it's, it's pretty widespread. Maybe all the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortune. 
about their misfortune. Now, it's very interesting. Uh, the word misfortune there in the Hebrew is actually the word evil. Okay, they were complaining about their evil. The evil circumstances in their life would be a literal translation of what's going on there. And uh, it's, it's unfortunate that there's a chapter break here because the verses before this actually connect with what's going on here. And we didn't really talk about this last week, but the, uh, the, the travel journey begins. Uh, and at the end of chapter 10, uh, Moses invites his father-in-law to go with him. Uh, and if you remember, his father-in-law was not an Israelite, and he'd been there advising and counseling and hanging out with them. And um, Moses says, we're about to take off and go to the promised land. And his father says, well, I'm go- father-in-law says, well, I'm going home. And, and Moses begs him, urges him to go with them. And he says, uh, if you come with us, uh, in verse uh, 29, we're setting out for the place which the Lord said, I will give it to you. Come with us and we will do good for you. For the Lord has promised good to Israel. He says, I won't go. I, I will depart to my own land and my own kindred. And, he, and Moses again pleads, Please do not leave us, for you know where we should camp in the wilderness, and you will serve as eyes for us. If you do go with us, whatever good the Lord will do to us, the same we will do to you. Right, and then a few verses later, we read these words, and they were complaining in the hearing of the Lord about the evil. Right? Um, see, there's kind of a conflict there. So if God's promised to do good, what is this evil? Where did this evil come from? Well, the reality is that um, there was no evil, right? Uh, but here's the, here's the problem for us, right? What, what, do we, what do we define as evil? Well, oftentimes we define evil as anything that is inconvenient for me, right? If it's inconvenient and I don't like it, we call it evil, right? And, and here's the sin, and here's why it's rebellion. Uh, and, and for these people, life was hard. They were going out through the wilderness. It was no doubt hot. It was, it was rugged terrain. It was difficult. It was challenging. And being out wandering through this wilderness was not, uh, was not life at the beach, for sure. Right? It was hard. Um, but, but God was leading them, and they got to this place by God's direction. Right? God was in front of them, and it was God himself who had led them out to this very place. And, and uh, if we go all the way back to Exodus, we know that there was a shorter route, a much easier route, actually a main highway they could have gone that would have been much easier. But God directed them this way, he said, because he needed to teach them faith. He needed to teach them about his character and his power. God had a purpose and a plan in that hardship. And here they were calling, essentially, God's good plan an evil in their life. Right? Okay. And, and, compl- and this is complaining, right? When we complain about our misfortune, about the evil in our life, are we guilty of calling God's good plans for us evil? If we do, it's a rejection, a rebellion against God. Right? Because we're saying, God, you brought us here and it's evil. Right? And we don't like what you're doing in our life. You must not know what you're doing. You must not be a good God who has good purpose for our life because I don't like it. Right? Um, and that's exactly what they were doing. Right? Um, are we calling his good plans evil because we fail to see that he is the one who's brought us to this place and he's directing and ordering the events in my life? Right? Now, certainly he doesn't bring all the evil, but... Uh, in, in Romans, Paul promises us that God will work out even the evil things that come into our life for his good, right? He has a purpose in them, and he allows them for a reason. Uh, second, second account, <clears throat> verses 4 to 15, uh, it says, Now there was this rabble, this group that was among them, and they had a strong craving. Rabble, we're not quite sure what, what it means, but it's a fringe group of some kind. Maybe they, they were foreigners. Maybe there were just this group of disgruntled uh, people who lived on the fringe of the camp somewhere who had kind of gathered up and they were just complaining all the time, right? They didn't probably represent the whole group. They were a minority. And this minority, this rabble, it says that there was, uh, they had among them this strong craving. And what they were wanting was meat, right? Meat, right? And so they started, they started grumbling and complaining, uh, and, and, and this, this strong craving, this longing, this, this deep desire, 
is more than just wishing they could have a different diet. Now, we know that uh, God had led them out into the wilderness and he gave them manna. There was no 7-Eleven. There was no big C. Right? There's no grocery stores. Um, uh, there was actually not much growing. Okay? It's, it's a pretty stark, and if you've seen pictures, it's a pretty stark and barren wilderness. Uh, and so God provides manna, and he gives a description of it. He says, now the manna was like coriander seed, and its appearance like that of some word I can't pronounce, bedeli, dilium. Uh, the people went about and gathered it and ground it in hand mills or beat it in mortars and boiled it in pots and made cakes of it. And the taste of it was like the taste of cakes baked with oil. Uh, the word there, baked with oil, is the idea of the supreme cream oil of olive oil. So it wasn't like motor oil. <clears throat> it wasn't like, like bad, you know, vegetable oil. It was like the prim, primo, like the supreme, the, the cream of the olive oil, right? So it wasn't terrible tasting stuff. Um, when the dew fell upon the camp in the night, the manna fell with it, free, right? All they did was get it. So they complained about the fish. Like, we could eat all the fish we wanted, it was free, but they weren't buying the manna, right? Um, the, the only problem with the manna was that it got boring, right? It tasted good. There was different ways they could cook it up. They could boil it and make, like, manna soup, manna stew, manna porridge, uh, manna cream of wheat, I don't know. They could make it into bread. They could make it into cakes. Manna birthday cake, right? This wasn't all bad. But you can understand where after a while, it might get a little boring. What are we having for breakfast? Manna. What are we having for lunch? Manna. What are we having for dinner? Manna. 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 Like you can, get, you can see where, okay, it would be a little wearisome, right? And, and certainly it wasn't a sin for them to think, oh man, what I would give for a watermelon, right? Some, some vegetable, something juicy, right? And certainly you could see where uh, that would be understandable. Uh, but that's not what this desire is, right? This is a, it's a craving, a craving in Hebrew. It's a strong, deep longing. Um, and it's wanting it so badly, okay? It's not just that they wanted it and maybe they dreamed about it and maybe they thought, man, I just, I'd be awesome to have this. No, it was more than that. It was wanting it so badly that they wanted to turn away from God's salvation and go back to their old life of bondage and slavery to get it. Right? They were like, we want this so bad. We are longing so much for this. We're, we're, we're willing and ready to give up on this crazy thing that we're on with God. And we want to go back to our life of slavery under Pharaoh because we think that's better. Right? That is all out rebellion. It is rejecting God in his way and choosing Pharaoh because the food's better. <laughs> okay? Because the food's better. Um, and what we see is it says that um, uh, it started with this rabble. And, and, and it says, Moses uh, heard the people weeping through their clans. Okay, so family by family. Everyone at the door of his tent. And this is one of the reasons that complaining is such a problem is that it's contagious. Right? Uh, because we all are prone to complain, because we do all like it, and we all um, practice it from time to time, uh, we, we, we like it when people complain, especially if it's things that we were on the verge of complaining about anyway. Right? And so we, we can get fired up, and boy, we can have a heated conversation about how we, we share in this misery together. And so pretty soon it wasn't just the rabble on the fringe who were complaining. It had spread through the whole camp. So at every tent, every family was, I get this picture, wailing at, their t at the door of their tent. Well, this is pathetic. Right? Moses walks down the street and people are weeping. I mean, this is, this is bad. They're, they're missing this stuff so bad they're crying over it. Oh, watermelon. Oh, garlic. This is pathetic, right? Um, and again, it's not, just, it's not just that they miss those things. It's what they are willing to give up to get those things. Right? They're willing to give up God's saving, God in their midst, everything that God has done for them, and they want to throw it all away to go back to their old life. Um, and what we really see here is that, is that their complaining is, is um, seeking to fulfill the sinful desires of the flesh. Right? 
It is their flesh crying out, uh, demanding to be pleased and, and gratified. And we live in a world and a time where the desires of the flesh have become not only acceptable, but actually a personal right. right? People have the right to have all their desires, all their lusts, all their cravings gratified and satisfied. Right? And if, you, if they don't, you are somehow viola- violating their rights and you're showing hatred toward them because right? that's kind of the way the world is now. Um, but, but this for sure should not have been true for the Israelites because they were wanting to go back to bondage in, in, in Israel, to give up on God's covenant promise to them and put themselves back under Pharaoh uh, because they could only see the flesh. Right? And for sure, for Christians, uh, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8, for to set the mind on the flesh is death. To set the mind on the flesh. To seek the gratification of our worldly fleshly desires is death. Right? And it's not that the desires of our flesh are sinful in themselves. Right? We, we, we have cravings and hunger and longings. They're not sinful in of themselves. It's when we seek to fulfill them apart from God's plan. By going back to our old life. To go back to the path and the way of sin. Right? To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And that's where the Israelites were. Right? They, were they were letting their fleshly desires drive them. And so their mind was set on the things of the flesh, not on the things of God. And they, in fact, had rejected and rebelled against God in favor of consuming the desires of their flesh. Uh, last account, uh, well, we're gonna, uh, third account, not last, third, third account is in chapter 12. Um, another, another account of grumbling. This, this one is more of an individual basis, right? Miriam and Aaron and Moses were brothers and sisters, right? Remember that? Um, and Miriam... Uh, was a prophetess. Uh, she, when, when uh, the Israelites had gone through the Red Sea, she led the women in this amazing psalm and hymn of praise at God's rescue and deliverance. Um, Aaron was the chosen high priest of Israel. Right? So not only were they family, but they occupied roles as, as prophet or prophetess and priest in the nation of Israel. Right? And of course, Moses was God's chosen leader appointed by God to lead them uh, out of the promise out of, out of Egypt into the promised land and it says in 12 chapter 12 verse 1 Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman he had married for he had married a Cushite woman and they said has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses has he not spoken through us also and the Lord heard it right now, uh, it says that Aaron, uh, Miriam and Aaron came forward, but the verb that's used here is a feminine verb. So actually, the one who's doing the speaking, the one who's really complaining here, is Miriam. Uh, and she has uh, Aaron's moral support in this, right? Uh, and, and likely this happened not in Moses' presence, right? Because it's not as much fun. Well, sometimes it's fun to complain about somebody in their presence, but it's much better to gossip about them behind their back, Right? So probably, you know, uh, Miriam and Aaron were having dinner together and they were just complaining about Moses, their brother. Who does he think he is? And that Cushite woman, she had foreigner. Um, and here it's, you know, Miriam's sister-in-law, but she's complaining about her. And, and, and at the core of the issue is not so much the Cushite wife, this foreign wife, but the real issue is what? We're just as good as him. Does he think God only speaks to him? Doesn't he speak to us as well? I'm a prophet. You're the high priest, right? And clearly, uh, Moses had a role in Israel that was unique. It was above them. And they did not like it. And they were filled with jealousy uh, and uh, critical spirit towards him. uh, Because here's, here's the thing. One of the best ways to equalize the world is to complain about those you think are better than you, right? We'll make things equal, right? Who are they to think they're better than me, right? 
And it's, there's no, 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 no group of people more fun to do this with than your boss <laughs> and your leader and people who are in charge. Who do they think they are? Man, if I was in charge of this company, if I was in charge of this mission, if I was in charge of this, things would be different, right? I mean, I love complaining about um, America. If I was president, things would be so much better, right? Put me in charge, right? Um, it's exactly what they were doing. Um, and again, it's, uh, in the end, Miriam is judged. God strikes her with leprosy. Uh, why? Because they were rejecting God's appointed leader, right? Who put Moses in charge? God did. And in fact, God had invested his authority, God's own authority on those leaders. One of the reasons we've got to be very careful about complaining against leaders is that God has given them authority over us. Right? And to reject them, to complain against them, to say, well, I don't need to follow them because I'm just as good as them. Right? They're, they're messed up. They don't, they're not, look, they, they married the wrong woman. Right? Uh, I shouldn't have to follow them. Right? I don't have to put myself under their authority because, look at them, they're no different than me. Right? But Moses was different not because he was better. He was different because God had put him in this position of authority. And it was God's authority they were rebelling against, not Moses. Right? So in all of these cases, they're grumbling and complaining. At the heart of it comes down to rebellion. Right? Uh, Bad complaining essentially denies the goodness of God that is being poured out uh, daily in our lives, right? They, they were denying God's goodness. They were calling it evil. That's rebellion. Uh, bad complaining comes from a heart and mind set on the desires of the flesh, not the things of the Spirit. Okay, that's a rebellion against God. Uh, bad complaining seeks to see myself as better than others. It seeks my own glory, right? And, and, and because of that, I don't need to submit to uh, others or to authorities, right? I make myself equal to or better than leaders so I don't have to submit to them. And it's a rebellion against God. Right? And in all those things, it's, it's a very serious sin. And every one of them, God brings swift uh, swift judgment. In fact, with, with, Ari, with Miriam, um, it says, it says uh, that... Um, uh, and the Lord heard it, and, and, and it says, The man Moses was very meek more than all the people on the face of the earth. And suddenly the Lord said to Moses, You and Aaron and Miriam come to the tent. I'm going to talk to you now. Right? It's getting called to the principal's office right now. Right? God does not mess around because these are serious sins. Right? Serious. Our complaining is not usually okay. And the problem is we do it so much and we become so comfortable with it and it's become so much a part of our everyday life that we kind of take it for granted that, well, it's okay with me. It must be okay with God. Right? But it's not. Right? It oftentimes is a very serious sin. But there is one example uh, that does not end in judgment and this is the example of Moses himself. In the midst of all this, Moses himself complains. In verse 10, uh, chapter 11, verse 10. Moses heard the people weeping through their clans and everyone at the door of his tent. And the anger of the Lord blazed hotly and Moses was displeased. Uh, literally, it was evil in the eyes of Moses. Right? Moses saw that this was an evil. Okay, now, that's not complaining in itself. But note, notice how Moses responds. Okay, He sees this um, and, and he, he sees that this is not good. But notice what he says. Moses said to the Lord, Why have you dealt ill with your servant? And why have I not found favor in your sight that you lay the burden of all this people on me? Right now, who's complaining? Right, Moses. Uh, did, I, did, did I conceive all these people? Right? Did I give them birth? Did I, did I uh, give birth to them that you should say to me, Carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a nursing child? to the land that you swore to give their fathers. Where am I to get the meat to give all this people? For they weep before me and say, Give us meat that we may eat. I am not able to carry all this people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. If you will treat me like this, kill me at once. 
So Moses is in kind of a bad place here. He says, just kill me off. Do away with me. If I find favor in your sight, they may, I may not see all this wretchedness. Um, Moses launches into his own complaint. And it's a good reminder, and, and if you are in leadership, and if you lead, whether it's in a family, as a parent, or in an organization at some level, it's a good reminder that um, uh, nothing discourages leaders like grumbling sheep, right? Uh, it is disheartening. And Moses was very conscientious. He, he wanted to serve the people well. He cared about them. He wanted to meet their needs, and he wanted them to be happy. And, and their grumbling was very discouraging for him, right? And there were two things in his grumbling that were not good. One, um, he clearly was feeling overwhelmed with the responsibility, but he misunderstood his role. Right? God never told him to carry them all by himself. In fact, God said he would be the one who would carry them. Moses was just the go-between, the messenger. Right? And so part of the problem is that Moses was taking too much responsibility on himself that God had not actually given him. Right? He was taking more burden than he should have. Um, the second thing we see is, is that he definitely had a lack of faith. Uh, and we see that uh, God, um, God comes to him, God promises to work, and he promises that he's going to send meat. He says, if they want meat, I'm going to give them meat. And if I'm going to give them so much meat that they're going to get sick of meat. Um, and it's going to make them nauseous, right? Uh, so his blessing turns out to be a curse to them and a, a judgment, uh, so, so, so God says, I'm going, to give, I'm going to give them meat. And he says in verse 20, uh, verse 19, You shall eat not just one day, or two days, or five days, or ten days, or twenty days, but you shall have meat for a whole month. Um, until it comes out of your nostrils and becomes, becomes loathsome to you, because you have rejected the Lord who is among you, saying, uh, um, why did uh, we come out of Egypt? Okay, so God promises to send a month's worth of meat. Now remember, there's 600,000 foot soldiers, right? There's a lot of them. Imagine the amount of meat, hamburgers, it would take to feed them just one day. It's a lot of hamburgers. 600,000 plus women and children. It's a lot of meat. And God says, they're going to get it not just one day, but 30, right? And so Moses responds, well, that's going to be cool. I can't wait to see this. Is that what Moses says? No. Moses re re responds, uh, how in the world are you going to do this? Right? I don't believe you can do this. Which was the second problem that Moses had. He, he lacked faith. Um, so so, so th there's a couple issues. There are a couple underlying causes of Moses complaining. One is his misunderstanding his role. He's taking responsibility on himself that really belongs to God. And, and he doesn't really believe God can do it. Maybe he thinks, well, I need to help God because God can't do this by himself. And so I need to carry this burden. right? Because I don't think God can do this. Right? Um, but there is something good about his complaining as well. And the good thing is this. Even though his complaint was uh, from a lack of understanding and faith in his own life, the good thing is this. He complained to God. Right? That's good complaining. And we may think, well, if complaining is sin, if complaining is rebellion, why would I want to tell God about it? Well, because that in it, that's the right place to go. Right? Here's the truth. Um, we, we shouldn't have a critical, negative, complaining heart. But there's a lot about our life that we shouldn't have or do or think. But they come. They come to us. And because we're sinful, fallen human beings, we, we think bad things. We crave the wrong things. We struggle with our hardships. We have doubt. Um, we, we have a critical ideas and thoughts inside of us. Right? What do we do with those things? Well, we cannot lie to God. And we cannot hide our heart from Him. And so the best thing to do when we have those things that are not right in our heart is to go to him with those things and lay it out before him. And, and I love how like direct and blunt and pretty honest Moses is here. Right? He's not making this pretty or putting it in kind of delicate language. He's pretty blunt with God. 
God, what are you doing to me? Right? You ever pray those kind of prayers to God? You should. Right? It's the right thing to do. Because if we feel it, we need to express it to the one who can actually do something about it. And that's God. Right? So, so Moses does that. He, um, he's frustrated. And, and he's feeling overwhelmed in this pressure. And he goes to the one place where he should go to express his frustrations and complain. He goes to the throne of God. And God hears him. Right? God doesn't judge him. God doesn't say, I'm done with you, Moses. You're the next one. You're the fire's going to fall on you next. The leprosy's going to come on you. No, he doesn't do that. Right? In fact, God responds very mercifully and graciously. It says then in verse 16, The Lord said to Moses, Gather for me seventy men of the elders whom you know to be uh, elders of the people and officers over them and bring them to the tent of meeting and let them take their stand there with you and I will come down and talk with you there and I will take some of the spirit that is on you and I will put it on them and they shall bear the burden of the people with you so that you may not bear it alone yourself. Right? God hears Moses' concerns and he answers him. He says, okay Moses, I'm going to help you. He responds with mercy. He responds with help. He says, I don't want you, to, the goal is not for you to carry this burden all by yourself. I want you to call the leaders. And these leaders had already been chosen and named. But he said, I'm going, to do, I'm going to take it to the next level. Not only am I going to give them administrative tasks, which they'd already been assigned, but he said, I'm going to put a piece of my spirit on you so that they can help carry the burden, the weight of this leading the people, caring for them. Time for a commercial break. Um, Ted talked about the uh, covenant community. Right? right Here's a good place to talk about covenant community. What is covenant community? Covenant community is me being Moses right here and calling out to God and saying, God, I as the pastor of CCF cannot carry the burden of all of you by myself. Right? And, um, and it's not God's design. God does not intend for me as the shepherd to be the solo one who cares for all of you. I can't do it, right? So what's covenant community? Well, covenant community is a way for us to uh, spread the shepherding load among other people. But to do that, we need, it's a two-way thing, right? It's a two-way agreement. The agreement on our part as church, as leadership, as elders, is to try to shepherd you. Now, um, we're all kind of like Moses in that we didn't give birth to any of you, right? And we're not going to carry you like a, a babe in a nursing mother's arms, right? Um, but we do want to know about you. We want to uh, be aware of what's going on in your life, right? And so uh, the, the, the covenant community is not uh, a small group, um, and it is not an elder assigned to visit you on a daily or weekly basis who's going to know everything about you. Right? All of our elders are super busy people. Right? They, they already are in full-time ministries um, carrying a huge load. And so they're making a lot of sacrifices to reach out to you. Right? And they, there's limits in, in the time they have to do that. But they want to. And we want to do a good job of shepherding the church. Right? Um, but it's also a commitment on your part to engage with the church. Right? It's a commitment on your part to be the church here, locally, in this fellowship. Right? Uh, and the only way we can figure out how to do that, uh, to identify those who are committed who, and who want to be shepherded, who want to call themselves part of our church, is to, is to do this covenant community. It's not really a membership because we know that uh, you may be a member of your own home church and you, you, it's confusing for you. It's confusing for me, right? How, how this gets divided up between your home church and, and your local church. Um, but, but we invite you to, um, to be a part of this church in an active and identified way. And the way you identify it is you sign up for the covenant community and you agree to this pledge, this promise, uh, and and uh, when, when they send it out, you'll see the, the link, what it is you're promising to and what we're promising to. So that's my commercial break. All right. Um, back to the sermon. Um, so, so Moses does this right, right? He does it in the right way. 
Uh, and, and we need to practice this. Right? When, when the complaining spirits are growing in your heart, uh, make it a matter of prayer. Right? Make it prayer. Pray to God. Seek God uh, and meet Him. Um, but there's still the issue of, well, I don't want to be critical in the first place. I don't want to be complaining in the first place. So how can I change my heart? Right? How can I change my attitude so that I'm, I'm not always grumbling? I'm not complaining. I'm not being like this. Um, well, the obvious thing to say would be, well, you need to just be more grateful. And certainly the best medicine against complaining is a grateful heart. However, I just don't think it's that easy. Right? I don't think it's that easy to just start being more thankful. Um, now, if you can do that, great. Uh, and, and certainly the more thankful you are and the more you're given to speaking uh, gratitude, it will counter complaining. The problem is those, 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 com- those complaints well up from deep inside oftentimes before we can cut it off at the pass, right? So how do we, how do, we do things differently? Well, I think the answer is that we, it, it's super important what we focus on. Right? Where are we focusing our attention? Uh, in all of these cases, Moses included, they were focusing on the wrong thing. And the result was a complaining spirit, an attitude. Um, uh, I'm reminded of Peter uh, when, when he was on the Sea of Galilee and he was in the boat and Jesus came to them and was going to walk by and they all got freaked out because they thought it was a ghost. And Jesus said, don't be afraid, it's me. And, and Peter said, in, in only Peter's style, Peter said, well, if it's really you, ask me to get out of the boat. Like, why would he say this? I don't know, but he did. If Jesus, if it's you, invite me to come out there with you. Jesus says, go for it. Come on out. The water's good. So Peter comes out and he starts walking on the water toward Jesus. And things were good as long as he was looking where? Jesus, right? But then what happened? It says he saw, he looked at the waves and the storm around him. He took his eyes off Jesus and he started looking at his circumstance. And then what happened? Time for swimming lessons. Because <laughs> things went downhill, literally, for him at that point, right? It's true for us. We need to focus on Jesus. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Uh, We need to keep our eyes set on Jesus uh, daily, moment by moment. And here's how it works. Real quickly, um, they were focused on their problems, right? Right? Chapter 11, verses 1 to 3. They were seeing their circumstances as evil. But it was a choice they made to look at all the bad stuff. Right? Instead, they, looked, they should have been looking on God's present provision and faithfulness. But they should have been looking not at how hard things were, but how God was being faithful in the midst of that hardship to meet their needs. Uh, they should have been focused on His mercy. And I love that when the fire breaks out and starts burning the edge of the camp, they cry out to Moses and Moses prays. And what happens? God, God puts the fire out, right? God shows mercy, right? The truth is we deserve God's judgment and wrath, right? If, if our life is full of hard things, that is what we deserve, right? We're not good people who deserve good things. We are sinful, rebellious people who deserve God's wrath. And it is only by His mercy that we have anything good in our life. Uh, I was at a pastor's conference this summer and uh, one, of the, one of the people speaking there had been hanging out with David Platt. And you know, when you hang out with David Platt and you speak, you, you, you say that. I was with, hanging out with David Platt. If you don't know who he is, he's a famous guy in the United States, right? And as we were hanging out, and David Platt to me was getting ready to go to church and he said, you know, today I should be going to hell. He's like, what? Because today I should be going to hell. I deserve not to be going to preach God's word at church. I deserve uh, God's wrath. Right? We should be focused on God's incredible mercy. 
that we do not get the evil we deserve, right? And that the hardship that comes into our life is really his mercy at work in our life, right? That's focusing on him. Uh, they were also extremely me-focused. And one of our problems as well is that we, we think way too much about ourselves. Right? We let our own flesh and the desires of our flesh dominate our life. Uh, and instead, we should be looking to Jesus who, uh, who has promised us so much more. Right? Th- think about this. Um, they... <laughs> um, they were they wanted watermelon when God wanted to give them vineyards full of grapes and olives, right? They were lamenting over garlic when God wanted to give them their own land and their own kingdom. This is the lie, great lie of Satan that we would that we were really much happier in the world before we came to Christ and that life with God is boring. Right? Do you ever feel that way? Life with God is just manna, and it's boring, and it's not exciting. And it was so much more exciting when I was living in the desires of the flesh. And there's some truth to that, right? There is something exciting about life in the flesh and the sin, and it's, it's, it's exciting. But how soon we forget the way it really was, right? Uh, they forgot that life in Egypt as slaves was way harder than what God was doing in their life now. Right? But they were longing for, for onions when God wanted to give them a land flowing with milk and honey. Same thing for us. Yeah, we could look back at how our life was in sin and say, wow, that was so much better. But instead, we need to be focusing on what God has promised to give us in the future. Right? Yeah, things might be hard now, but this is not the end. Um, Peter was here in, in the Gospels, and he said to Jesus, See, we've left our homes and followed you, right? We've given up stuff to follow you. What's in it for us? And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this life and in the age to come eternal life. Oh, eternal life. Um... We need to focus on Jesus and what he wants to give us, right? Uh, Instead of focusing on our inadequacy and our insufficiency and our weakness, we need to focus on the all-sufficiency of Jesus. Moses could only see how uh, his own weakness and how he did not measure up. How many of you honestly feel that way? You feel weak, you feel incapable, and you feel like, God, I can't do this. Why are you even asking me? God, kill me instead, because I just know I'm going to fail. You ever feel that way? Well, see, instead of focusing on me and my inadequacy and weakness as a husband or wife or parent or disciple maker or leader or teacher, we should be focusing on the all-sufficiency of Christ. Um instead of focusing on my glory and my importance, that I should be in charge. Why didn't God put me in charge? Because I could do this better. We should be focusing on, on the one leader who is even greater than Moses, and that's Jesus. Right? Um, your earthly leaders are not the Savior of the world, but Jesus is. Um, so we need to focus on his absolute sufficiency to take care of us. Um, Jesus wants to make you successful and he wants your life to bear fruit. But he's not asking you to go out and bear fruit. He's asking you to abide in him. And he will bring the fruit, right? Uh, He is our sufficiency and we need to keep our focus on him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come before you And we do confess that all too often we we do complain. And um, Lord, it's so much a part of our life and so much a part of our nature that we're probably not even aware of of how constantly we are complaining and how many times every day critical um, grumbling and murmuring passes over our lips. 
Oh Lord, we, 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 we confess it as, as sin. Lord, it is a mark of selfishness and of focusing on, on our own desires, our own rights. Um, and it is a failure to trust you and to see your goodness at work in our life. And Lord, we acknowledge that you are a good and gracious God who has poured out your goodness in so many ways. Lord, help us focus on those things and see them, even in the hardship and the struggles, uh, to see your hand and your mercy being poured out in our life, as you certainly did for Israel, and we know you do for us. Lord, help us to be um, the kind of people who have a relationship and a confidence with you that we can take our complaints to you in prayer. And we leave them there at your feet. We, we trust you to work things out instead of um, taking things in our own hands. Lord, forgive us and change us, we pray. Make us a people who are uh, dependent on you, who are looking to you for what you will do and have great hope and faith at, uh, at, at how you will keep your promises. And you will do far better things than, uh, than we can imagine. And certainly things way better than the leeks and onions of our past. Lord, you promised us uh, a new home, an eternal inheritance, and life with you. Lord, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.